Hey, 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 welcome to another version of the Pastor Duke podcast coming to you live from, well, actually it's not live. I'm alive right now in Rock Hill, South Carolina, but coming to you by way of technology, by podcasting. The devil can use technology and Jesus can use technology. So welcome to the program today. We're going to have some fun together. We're going to talk about the Bible, the most amazing book ever, the Word of God. The word Bible means book, and it's like no other book ever. Carry any other book through a crowd of people, no one will even notice. But if you carry a Bible through the same crowd, almost everyone who sees it will notice it. Some will be drawn to it and speak to you saying things like, my favorite book in the world. That book changed my life. God bless you for carrying that book in public. Other people will see you and that book and uh, they won't like it. They'll uh, depart from your presence. They'll want nothing to do with it whatsoever. They'll resent the fact that you chose to bring it out into public. You know, a lot of people don't realize it, but the Bible was the official textbook in the early American public school system. But in 1962, when I was in second grade, it became the only banned book in our public school system. How about that? I will complete 180. For some reason, the Bible is not an emotionally neutral book. (laughs) It is loved by many. It is hated by many. In my high school library, I actually stole a copy of the Communist Manifesto. (laughs) Didn't have Jesus in my heart in those days, but I stole it, and I read it from cover to cover. Then I hollowed it out and carried an ounce of dope in it at all times just to try to uh, be the coolest guy in school. Now I look back on it and think I was probably the stupidest uh, guy in the school. But my point is this, communism was sort of acceptable in the school, but not biblicism. Let that sink in. I also stole a copy of Saul Alinsky's book, Rules for Radicals, uh, from our high school library, which was uh, pretty much a 1960s revision of the Communist Manifesto, which was pretty much my Bible, 1969, 70, 71, 72, until I got introduced to the real Bible. In my public school, Lucas High School, uh, just east of Mansfield, Ohio, we studied a bit about polytheism. That was okay, but not monotheism, as in uh, uh, there's one Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. We studied uh, Greek and Roman mythology. We studied uh, various occult practices all the while the Bible was banned. We were off for Christian holidays of Christmas and Easter, but couldn't outwardly speak on the historical events that led to those holidays. Even the word holiday, a compound word, holy day, how ironic or perhaps how hypocritical. The Bible, there just isn't anything like it. 66 books make up the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, 1,189 chapters, 
23,145 verses in the Old Testament, 7,957 verses in the New Testament for a total of 31,102 total verses in the Bible. The Bible was not written with chapters and verses. They were added, uh, I think, in the 12th century, maybe the 13th century by Stephen Langton in England did a great job there. The chapter divisions and verses are not divine, but I think God surely had his hand in it. It was simply written as a text. A lot of people don't uh, realize those uh, little facts about the Bible. That's the purpose of this podcast, to get more familiar with this amazing book we call the Bible. Interestingly, the middle verse of the Bible, Psalm 118, verse 8, it says it is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. The middle two words of that verse are the Lord. The shortest chapter in all the Bible is Psalm 117, two, only uh, two verses. And then Psalm 18, the middle of the Bible. And then the longest chapter in all the Bible, Psalm 119. How about that? Just interesting biblical trivia. The Bible was written over a period of 2,500 years. It has 45 human authors or so, perhaps 44, but claims only one divine author. It was written in three languages, Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek, with a sprinkling of Aramaic in both Testaments. It was written on three continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. It has been translated into 3,589 languages at the time I'm now speaking, with parts of the Bible translated into another 1,500 languages. The urgent work of translating the Bible into all languages has not ceased for these past 2,000 years. Let me flesh this out a little bit. Tony Kadachi Sturtz, a young lady grew up in my pastorate in my church in upstate New York. Uh, she was a cerebral palsy gal, about four foot nine, about a hundred pounds of her soaking wet. She was continuously told her whole life by doctors that she can't do this and she can't do that. Thank God she never listened to any of them. You can't go to college. You're physically handicapped. You, you just can't uh, handle the, the stress mentally, physically, getting to and from classes. She didn't listen. She ultimately uh, graduates with a master's degree in education from Dort Georgia Tech University. You can't be a missionary to Haiti. <laughs> no one would hire her. So uh, her pastor in Georgia and my, uh, myself were able to raise her support in two weeks, got her onto the mission field of Haiti. The doctor said she can't go there. She'll not be able to maneuver on the, the cobblestone streets, but she did. She became an excellent missionary teacher uh, in Haiti, where she met a handsome young man named Tim Sturtz. Uh, they were married. It was my honor to uh, officiate their wedding. And after they had taken their vows, he picked her up and carried her down the aisle on their way out. It was sacred, sacred, sacred moment. Young servants of the Lord. So I've introduced you to Tim and Stone, Tony Sturtz. What do they do now? They're with Wycliffe Bible translators living in one of the most remote parts of the world, in southern Sudan, where they raised their two boys. The doctor said, you can't have children. You're not physically able to carry them. She did not listen. She has two beautiful, healthy boys, naturally born 
raised in southern Sudan, ministering, getting the word of God translated into the obscure languages of nomadic Islamic peoples, forgotten people of the planet, as Klaus Schwab would call them, useless eaters. But you see, nobody is useless in the mind of God, in the heart of God. All men are created equal. And uh, they give it, they're giving their lives, Tony and Tim, living in the southern Sudan with no air conditioning, where uh, daytime temperatures often soar above 120 degrees. It's not a safe place to live. It's not a comfortable place to live. But they've given their lives to serve those people groups. Why? To get the word of God into the heart language of some of the most remote uh, people groups of the planet. What would move somebody to do such a thing. What is it about that book that causes people to make such sacrifice to get that book translated into those people's heart language? So let that sink in. Many Christian missionaries have been martyred in the Sudan, but it hasn't stopped them. They daily risk their lives to translate the Bible into these obscure languages and often don't even have an alphabet. They have to uh, create the alphabet and the language uh, of the people. It's not an easy task. Do you know any other book that so inspires people? to devote their entire lives into getting that message of that book into people's obscure languages. There just ain't no book like the Holy Bible. When our grandkids uh, uh, overnight here with us, uh, <laughs> about every other week or so, they are early to bed and early to rise, and they oftentimes wake up before Papa and Mia do, and we can hear them singing the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. Music to Papa and Mia's ears. The Bible is a powerful book. Though it has been the most banned of all books, the most burned of all books, it, the most argued over of all books, it still reigns as the best-selling book of all times every single year. Uh, it's interesting, the second best-selling book uh, behind only the Bible during the decade of the 70s when I came to Christ was a little book called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey, a book about what? Biblical prophecies full, being fulfilled in our days pointing to the second coming of Christ, who's the central theme of the Holy Bible. I want to camp on biblical prophecy for a short tirade here, if I may. Human authors can see the present and remember the past somewhat. And as we get older, the past gets a little cloudier. But biblical authors could see past, present, and future. When they spoke of the future, that is what we call prophecy. Prophecy is what sets the Bible apart from all other books. The Bible, I'm told, has 10,365 prophecies. That's over 27% of the entire Bible. It is my feeling that not enough attention is given to biblical prophecy in today's church compared to when I was saved back in the early 70s. And I realize there's probably was some uh, misteaching, extreme teaching on biblical prophecy that perhaps has caused younger pastors to shy away, but I don't think we should ignore 27% of the Bible. Prophecy is God's tool to communicate with mankind. 
It's Bible prophecy uh, that has made the written scriptures uh, the divine book that man couldn't have written if he wanted to and would not have written if he could have. Jesus put it in these words. Behold, I tell you before it happens, why? So that when you see it happen, you will believe, John 14, 29. Man can guess about the future, but an omniscient, eternal, immutable God who transcends all space and time has chosen to tell us the end from the beginning, Isaiah 46, 10. I've spent 51 years and counting studying biblical prophecy, and I'm telling you, man couldn't have written the Bible if he wanted to and wouldn't have if he could have because Scripture is overtly clear as to the weaknesses, the sins, and the failures of the human writer's of this divine book. <laughs> no glory to man. All other books give glory to man except the Bible. All glory goes to the Lord. It's just a different book from anything else. I devote 60% of my podcast to biblical prophecy. Those of you who listen to me regularly, maybe it might even be 70%. I address mostly uh, the prophecies pointing to the second coming of Christ and the end days scenario. Prophecy can be divided into three categories. Uh, short-term prophecies, number two. Mid-range prophecies, number three. Long-range prophecies, mostly in the realm of eschatology, the study of future events. It's the one hundred percent accuracy of all the short-term and midterm prophecies that intellectually convince bible students like myself probably like yourself that the prophecies still unfulfilled about the second advent and the unfolding of the apocalypse we call revelation will likewise be fulfilled to the letter as all prophecies thus far have been i have great confidence and the prophecies yet to be fulfilled. I'll give you a powerful short-term prophecy of Moses. It was in a tense moment. The rebellion of Korah was in his face. Moses prophesied. Are you ready? Here we go. If you men who uh, joined with Korah die a natural death, then you will know that I, Moses, am a false prophet. But... If the earth opens up and swallows you all into the abyss, then you'll know that I am a true prophet of God. Pretty clear, wasn't it? And in about five minutes or so, guess what happened? Yep, that short-term prophecy was fulfilled to the letter. Result? The people believed. The people knew that God was speaking to them through Moses, even though they did not like everything he was saying. Jesus used this same pattern regularly with the disciples. I'll give you an example. He did it so as to give them assurance and to give them confidence in the midst of trying times. He was trying to build them up using these short-term type simple prophecies. It's uh, about to be Palm Sunday, about to uh, uh, unfold Zechariah's prophecy uh, that Israel's true king would come riding into Jerusalem, lowly riding upon a donkey, Zechariah 9.9. Tensions are high 
They know, the apostles know there's a price tag on Jesus' head. They know that he is in danger. They try to talk him out of coming to Jerusalem for the Passover for that reason. Jesus was not fear-driven. They couldn't keep him out of Dodge. And so Jesus says to them, go ahead into the village of Bethany, just up the road a ways, and you will find a donkey waiting for you. And if the owner asks you, why are you taking my donkey? Tell him it is for the king. And guess what? They obeyed Jesus, and it happened as he said. That little prophecy, not an earth-shattering thing, but it meant the world to them. He can see into the future, whether it's 15 minutes or whether it's 15 centuries. Bible prophecy, short-term. Moses used it. Jesus used it often. Prophecy is how the common people recognized Jesus as their true Messiah. They knew the Old Testament prophecies of the coming of their Messiah. Genesis 12, 3, he would be born a Jew, the seed of Abraham. Genesis 49, 10, he would be born of the tribe of Judah. Uh, He would be of the lineage of King David, 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. Remember in that triumphant entry, Palm Sunday, what did they say? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the son of David. They had connected those prophetic dots. I like to call it the glove of prophecy, and now they're living in the hand of reality. It gave them great confidence. That, my friends, is precision, genealogical uh, accuracy spanning 1,500 years. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the son of David. They knew that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. He would come out of Egypt. Uh, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. He would be called a Nazarene. Matthew 2, verse 23. When Philip finds Nathanael in John chapter 1, he said, We have found him of whom the prophet spoke, the prophetic coming of Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, come and see. Again, the glove of prophecy, the hand of reality, it gave them assurance that Jesus truly was their Messiah. Prophecy is the divine language that no earthly authors can speak. I'm going to say that again. Did I say again? I think I've been in the South for two months now, and it's starting to catch up with me. Here it goes again. Prophecy is the divine language that no earthly author can speak. There are no prophecies in ancient uh, uh, polytheistic uh, sacred texts. There are no prophecies in the Quran. I've read it cover to cover twice. There are no prophecies in the Book of Mormon. I'm just saying. 16 specific details of the crucifixion of Jesus were given in Psalm 22 a thousand years before the crucifixion. They pierced my hands and my feet. Jesus actually actual dying words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There were hundreds of Old Testament prophecies promising the first advent of Jesus as their Messiah. And uh, there are many New Testament prophecies and others in the Old Testament also prophesying Jesus' second advent. History is no mystery to those who study prophetic word of God. History is not random. 
there was clearly a beginning, Genesis 1-1. There will be a conclusion of history. God's great reset will uh, with his new heavens and new earth as recorded in Revelation. Don't forget, history is a compound word, his story, not man's story. I mentioned before of the huge continuous effort of biblical translation that never quits. I want to mention now about huge efforts of scripture distribution. (laughs) Not said of any other book like this, the scripture distribution. I was given a New Testament in sixth grade by the Gideons International who financially sacrificed to get the Word of God Bibles in the hands of people all over the world through hotel rooms. Uh, Our church in New York had monthly work nights where we collated pages of Scripture and bound them, trimmed them, packed them, and shipped them all over the world. We're just part of that that transmission thing, that distribution, get the word of God out. What moves people to be like that, to do those things? Well, I think my listening audience, you already know what that is. It's Jesus in us. The King James Version of the Bible has no copyright. It can be printed freely with no expense. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, There are underground networks of uh, people and organizations, uh, especially this past hundred years, to sneak the Bible into forbidden lands. A book called God's Underground is a classic Christian must-read book showing how the divine providence, divine intervention upon those who risk their lives uh, smuggling scriptures into the likes of the former Soviet Union, East Bloc European countries, North Korea, and China. What other book inspires such devotion, such passion, such sacrifice, such risk uh, to uh, translate and to distribute all over the world? There just ain't nothing like the real thing, baby. Another divine attribute of the Bible is its continuity. 66 books, but in reality, just one story. 45 or so human authors, but in reality, just one divine author. The paradise lost of Genesis is the paradise regained in Revelation. 31,102 verses, zero contradictions. Let me say that again. Zero contradictions. Every major ancient global event in history recorded in the Bible. Every moral issue, uh, the layout of the Mosaic civil law, the Levitical sacrificial system, perfect continuity. The beautiful typology blending with the perfect continuity. In the tabernacle, only one door. Jesus is the only door to heaven. You only need one door. Thank God the door's open. Whosoever will may come. No one is excluded. If by faith they come to Jesus, they're guaranteed a place in heaven. The table of showbread in the tabernacle. Jesus is the bread of life. The golden lampstand in the tabernacle. The golden menorah. Jesus is the light of the world. The typology of the Passover Take an unblemished lamb. Jesus was the unblemished lamb of God. Born of a virgin, no earthly father, therefore no sinful nature. Keep the lamb in your home for three days. In the middle of the fourth day, take the Passover lamb outside and kill it. 
paint the blood uh, of the lamb on the doorpost of your house, God said, when the death angel comes, he'll pass over you. Well, likewise, Jesus came into his own. He was a Jew. He ministered for three years, a day for a year, a year for a day. In the middle of the fourth year, he was taken outside the city gate and crucified. His blood was upon the posts of the cross. None of it coinky-dinky. All of it providence. All of it prophesied in direct verse, but also prophesied in biblical typology. See, man's not smart enough to write that kind of a book. Then you have pinhead people, like I used to be, saying to the girl who witnessed to me, Jeannie Atwell, all my Lucasites perhaps uh, will remember her. She stood for Jesus during her high school days. Oh, I said to her, the Bible is full of contradictions and errors. Uh, She looked me in the eye and smiled, handed me a copy of the Bible and boldly said to me, and yet sweetly, show me one. (laughs) Well, it's been 51 years and three months, and I haven't found any of those contradictions and errors that I was so confident the Bible was full of. Oh, what a powerful book the most banned and burned and mocked and hated book of all time, yet it ain't going away. Not one jot, not one tittle will pass from the law, Jesus said, till all these things be fulfilled. It stands as the eternal, inerrant, preserved word of the living God. Oh, how we love the Bible. Oh, the power of of the Holy Scriptures. It transformed Saul of Tarsus, the early church's public enemy, number one, into Paul the Apostle, the church's greatest missionary of all time. Oh, the power of the Bible that transformed a hippie who used to park in the back shadows uh, in the parking lot at Cook Road Baptist Church, Mansfield, Ohio, smoking weed into the wee hours of the morning, transformed that hippie into the podcasting voice you are now listening to. This book transformed jailbirds into evangelists. It transformed Mary Magdalene from a demon-possessed harlot into a New Testament saint to whom Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene. I hope that's on DVD. I'd like to watch that unfold. I'm running out of podcast time way before I'm running out of podcast ammunition concerning the divine nature and attributes of the Holy Scriptures. I'll be back next podcast with huge topics of science uh, in Scripture, the historicity of Scriptures, the archaeology and biblical phenomenons, the Scriptures, and some concluding thoughts. I just find this so interesting. This is a P.S. The Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. If you're down, the Bible can comfort you. If you're erring, the Bible can correct you. If you're discouraged, the Bible can encourage you. If you're rejected, the Bible can receive you into God's family. The Bible, it's the most quoted book of all time, the most memorized book of all time. It's the most sung about book of all time, the most studied book of all time, and the most stolen book of all time, the first book printed 
on the Gutenberg Press was what? You got it, the Holy Bible. Many common phrases come from the Bible in our everyday language. Uh, the handwriting on the wall, Daniel's prophecy, I believe, chapter 7. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. All from biblical text. Escaping by the skin of your teeth, a house divided cannot stand. A drop in the bucket, scapegoat. A leopard can't change its spots. Let there be light, forbidden fruit. All from grace, by the sweat of your brow. From ashes to ashes, I'm not my brother's keeper. Land of milk and honey, as old as Methuselah. Fire and brimstone, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Man shall not live by bread alone. How have the mighty fallen? Feet of clay. Our culture, our language is laced with scriptural evidences. And so many today are so biblically illiterate, they don't even realize. We once had laws against sodomy. That's a biblical term, moral term, confronting homosexuality. That's where the term sodomy came from, Genesis uh, chapter 19. When people are trying to prove a point, and they often say, well, it's the gospel truth. Or they say, it's the Bible on this topic. Our presidents, senators, congressmen, Supreme Court justices, all military, all state local officials are sworn into office with their hand on the Bible. And I'll close with the greatest counsel I ever got. It's May 1972. I'd visited church a couple times. I was under conviction. I, I knew I needed help. I was in deep into drugs. I tried to come off. Failed. Tried and failed. Vietnam was at its height, heyday. I was a mess. Domestic violence in our home. I needed help out by a pond, pretending that I'm fishing Saturday morning, about 10 a.m., coming through for my Lucasites, uh, the Huffman Pond on Route 39 on the S-curves there, up near Lighter Road. Out of the woods walks Nick Garrick. We affectionately called him Roach. I love that name. I worked hard for it, but I guess he worked harder. Roach comes walking out of the woods. He looked at me and gave me the, gre the greeting that we always gave each other. Hey, what, man, what's happening? And, and instead of giving him the uh, normal answer, which was a lie, I gave him an honest answer from my heart. I don't know, Roach. I have no clue what's going on to you. He said, nope, I'm clueless too, man. I said, I've been going to church. I think I'm searching for God. And I said, but what if God's on a search for me and you, Roach? He says, I don't know, man. And then he gave me the greatest counsel anybody ever gave me. He said, wow, man, if God ever talks to you, man, listen to him. <laughs> I'll never forget that, man. That's 51 and a half years ago. If God ever talks to you, listen to him, man. That's pretty wise, isn't it? See, I found out soon afterwards God really is speaking to us. He speaks to us of his very being by creation. I never argued that point. I remember as a boy sitting out under the stars at night out in the country, could look up and see, I don't know, a million stars. 
I remember being overwhelmed. It seemed like everything was so big and I was so little. There seemed to be such total order in the physical universe that I could see balances of nature, systems uh, of uh, the sunlight and photosynthesis and uh uh, the plants turned the carbon dioxide into oxygen that I need, and I turned their oxygen into the carbon dioxide that they needed, and uh, just saw these balances of nature. And my education had told me that's all by time and chance. Sure didn't feel like time and chance to me. It looked like plan and purpose to me. I know that faith defied my, my science training. My next podcast going to talk about the Bible and science. You're going to like that. But there I sat as an 18-year-old kid and another 18-year-old kid also on drugs. We were both high as a kite at, at that moment, and he gave me great counsel. turns out God was speaking to me of his being through creation and his specific mind, his specific heart in the Holy Bible, the Word of God. Jesus was knocking on the door of my heart. Thank God I was listening. I opened the door of my heart, and I asked Jesus, Son of God, the central person of the Bible, I asked him to forgive me, come into my heart, save me. He did. He put a fire in my heart. He put a love in my heart for the Word of God. I've given the rest of my life to telling people about it. Thank you for listening. Why don't you help me? <laughs> Why don't you tell people about Jesus too? And if you don't mind, share uh, this podcast with your friends and uh, like, subscribe, all that. Help, uh, help the word of God to go out to the next generation. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Love you so much. Uh, my numbers continue to grow. It's all your fault. Love you. See you next time. Bye-bye for now.